guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Eric Forrest, formerly of Tucson, Arizona, but now lives in Mesa, Arizona. He's a coos deer nut, and I always love having him on the podcast. Eric, how you doing? Good, Jay. You? Good. I got to say, those Wildcats, they're 4-1. and one. The Sun Devils are 4-1. and one. It could be a could be a big game come November 30th, couldn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a divided household over here. <laughs> Last time we talked, uh, you were just recovering from eye surgery. Uh, yep. How's it going? Perfect. That's the, some minor issues with glare, but uh, last time I went in, I had 2010 um, vision, so that's better than I ever ha- I've ever had. So um, I've actually been able to go out and you know go shed hunting and go deer scouting. So I've been able to test them out, and they seem to be doing okay. So. Where was your vision before that? I mean, did you have to oh, wear man. glasses? Did you have to wear contacts? Yeah, yeah I, I, I wore, um, I started wearing contacts when I was 13, um, and I, it was, a, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to see without them. I had, on a good day, about 2400 vision, um, wow. <laughs> so I was basically blind as a bat. So how has that affected you looking through binoculars? Um, I mean, have you truly been able to see a huge difference? Um, it's about, about the same, um, as far as I can remember, it's about the, it's pro- now compared to, um, when I had contacts, it's about the same. Um, okay. basically what they, yeah, they just put a contact lens inside my eye this time. So it's a little bit closer to my, to my actual, uh, lens. So I, I was, I was looking at some gear the other day up here and, uh, I was able to pick out a little bit finer details through the Swarovskis um, of a buck that was bedded. So that, that, that helped tremendously. So as a kid growing up and in high school, did you actually wear glasses or did you actually, you know, wear contacts every day? Um, I wore, I think I wore glasses up through, um, through middle school. Uh, they were always a pain. I remember uh, before I even knew I needed glasses, my dad took me out rabbit hunting. And there was a rabbit about 20 yards away, and I couldn't even, I couldn't see it. And he didn't understand why I couldn't see this rabbit. So that was the day I went and got glasses. Um, but, yeah, in high school, I, I picked up contacts, and it was much easier to uh, to shoot, um, much easier to glass. I've had times where I've had to take out my contacts um, and wear glasses, um, especially getting geared up for that ICL surgery. I had to be out of contacts for weeks. And, man, glassing with uh, glasses was not, was not fun. And um, and my vision was so poor. Even looking through the Swarovskis, trying to adjust the focus without glasses, it was it wasn't the same. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, we're uh, right here, kind of the middle of October, and you know, at the end of the month here, we've got cooster hunts. You know, kicking off. You know, the general season cooster hunts. There youth youth hunts going on right now, but yep. Um, you know, general. October, what we call the early October hunts or, you know, the early season hunts kicking off at the end of the month and then rolling into November. Um, before we really dive into that, you have made a transition from living and growing up in southern Arizona in the Tucson area to uh, recently, uh, within the last year or so, moving up to uh, the Phoenix area, living in Mesa. And we've talked a little bit about your transition from, you know, being so close in Tucson to those units that, you know, literally any one direction you can go and find a coos deer to, you know, being up in the Phoenix area, which definitely still has coos deer, but probably not, you know, you can't just go in any one direction. And we've talked about that transition a little bit before that on other podcasts. I was just curious. Um, how that transition is going, how your scouting's going, and any thoughts that jump out at you. Yeah, it's it's uh it's been sort of a rough uh, transition. Not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, to be honest with you, I just like you said, back home you could pretty much take any road that leads to mountains and find deer. Um, here it's a little bit more more pockety for sure. I'm kind of fortunate because I live on the east side of the valley, so I I can get on Bush Highway pretty pretty quick or 87. Um, but having said that, those are the I think those are the more popular areas. What I'm sort of finding out um, seems like every time I 
I go into a into an area. I find some, you know, a pocket of deer. I I compare notes with guys that are that are already here, saying, "Hey, uh, I'm in this spot. Is this something that you're already running?" Just to make sure I'm not on their toes. And um, you know, ten times out of ten, they've been to that spot or they know other guys that are in that spot. So, <laughs> so yeah, super popular. I, I found some bucks. Nothing nothing super uh, spectacular yet. Um, definitely a lot lower uh, densities of of all animals around here, um, you know, javelina, mule deer, coos deer. Um, but I, I think that's just because it's so, you know, such close proximity to a large city. Um, yeah. Not sure exactly why the deer numbers are, are so much lower, but, but yeah, it is for sure a lot more pocky than back home. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, you know, I think the Phoenix metro area is, you know, five or six million. I, I want to say it's like the mm -hmm. fifth or sixth, maybe seventh largest city in the country. And we don't really, I mean, it kind of snuck up on me, to be honest with you, when I saw that stat. But then you go down to Tucson, and I don't know exactly, but it's maybe a million. Um, you know, yeah. you might know better than me, but um, it's a huge difference when you have a place, you know, five or six times bigger. Uh, and then you take the fact that you can't go in any one direction. Like in Tucson, literally, you could drive any direction and hit, you know, and jump into deer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as you say, living over on the eastern part of Phoenix, you do have a little bit of, um, uh, you know, advantage because you're, you know, there definitely are coos deer on that eastern part of Phoenix, uh, you know, or proximity. So. Um, it's it's just interesting to hear the different perspectives, and certainly from someone like you that you know is a nut, a coos deer nut like yourself, uh, and you know deer nut in general, um, to just hear how your transition's going. And um, so, what do you have on your plate uh, upcoming as far as coos deer hunts uh, this fall? Do you have any yourself personally? I believe you shot an archery buck, uh, so I think you're out of the game, but. Yeah, you've got buddies and such. What what do you have cooking? So uh, Tristan's girlfriend, she has a hunt. Um, it's that November eighth hunt, and then he has he got lucky and, and drew that late December tag. Okay. So so he he's got a particular buck. He's <laughs> he's trying to go after. That's been pretty much a ghost. Um, so I might I'm gonna try to to, to get off work and and go to, run down there and help him and her. Um, they're actually going to the range today to get her squared away on a rifle and go out scouting today as well. So I'm excited to hear how he does there. Um, hoping I can get down and make, you know, some scouting trips with them to get prepared for those hunts. That's Savannah, right? His girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Savannah. She's the one that shot that drop time buck? Yeah, the, the two drop times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I know we talked about that on the last podcast. Um and then fill me in again on what you're doing for work up in the Phoenix area. So I, um, I'm in the process with Mesa Police Department still. And I, um, in the meantime, I, I was applying to Amazon for a, a, a position that kind of was a little bit more geared in, in for what I studied in college um, as a security risk analyst. And so I got, I got a, an offer for that position. I actually start um, uh, Monday, so after this weekend my first day there so yeah and I noticed too on your Instagram page you have your own Amazon store tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah so I discovered that um, earlier in the year um, basically it's just kind of like a, like a they call it a storefront and I can just put on I always have I'm sure you I mean I see in your story all the time guys are asking you for gear um, and so it was a it was a way for me to put on like the you know the the trail cameras that I recommend um, all the products that I recommend the most to have in your pack that you can get through Amazon um, and the best deals that I I can find for those products because I before that storefront I was always going on there just you know taking screenshots of <laughs> of Amazon products or or links and then sending them to guys so it was just a more convenient way to put things things up there um, just tell guys to go look at the link and look at my lists uh, but I actually, for the Amazon storefront, I get a little bit of a kickback from anything that's purchased through the link. So, say like if you wanted to, if you wanted to go get a stealth cam, um, and say the stealth cam's like $150, um, I'll get a percentage of that. It's super small, so I might get like, you know, like five bucks from a $150 purchase. But 
that's that's a memory card there or you know something so yeah. it definitely helps yeah, out with it, scouting especially yeah it's it's stuff too that I, I went on your store and looked it's stuff that you use it's not like you just plastered a bunch of stuff so it's yeah it's gear that you use and it, it's it's a cool idea I, I i think it's pretty neat that you're doing that and um you know Thank you, you can take your expertise with trail cameras and some of the different things that you've already, you know, weeded through and figured out what works best and take some guy that's maybe just getting into trail cameras, you know, he can kind of hit the ground running and just say, you know, Eric, yeah. what do I need? You know, dial me in and you go, you need this, this, and this. And um, so that's pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, let's dive into one of our favorite subjects and that's coos deer. And I guess the biggest thing is with these hunts coming up in October, uh, this year, I've talked about it on other podcasts, it's actually going to be a dark moon for this first October hunt. Um, how, do you, how significant do you think uh, on these early hunts when the temperature is still warm, how, how big of an impact do you think having a dark moon plays as opposed to maybe the same time period and having a full moon? Because I believe last year at the same time it was full uh, on those October yeah. hunts. How do you think that's going to play out this year for the, the guys out there that have, you know, the, the October and even that early November hunt? Yeah, I was just listening to your uh, most recent podcast with Dwayne Adams when he was talking about the moon there. Um, it, it's just interesting stuff. I've always used the solar lunar charts because um, they've seemed to align. Um, the activity that I see as far as the activity times. Um, but a lot of the time those solar lunar charts say it's going to be a poor day. And then like, like uh, with my buck this year, um, the day I went out, it said it, it was rated like 18% poor day. And I ended up killing that buck um, <laughs> about like <laughs> all 10 or 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I use those solar lunar charts just for the times specifically i've tried to pay attention to those the moon phases and, and how activity is going to be um i have never personally noticed a trend because i kind of i kind of take the motto um you know just you, you're gonna have to take what you get if the if the if the hunt has a, a new moon um then you know so be it uh the, the deer are going to be there they're not going to you know just vanish off the hillside so they're there somewhere if they're bedded um going to have to slow down glassing and start picking apart things a little bit more carefully. Um, if they're up moving, great. Um, either way, you, you, you got to hunt. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, but I've always had the, you know, um, sort of bro science theory that if it's new moon and it's dark during the night, that they're less likely to feed at night, um, and they might be feeding more in the morning versus if it's full moon at night, they have a lot of light. Um, they can, I'm sure they probably feel a little bit more comfortable uh, feeding through the night, but you know, <laughs> I might just speaking out my butt there. I don't know if that's actually well, true or not. No, I mean, I think a lot of it is you know perception and your experience and what you've noticed and what have you. You know, I've been getting uh, you know the moon is pretty darn full right now. It's 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 uh, you know been bright, yeah. and I've been getting messages from guys saying, "Man, it's it's uh, you know the moon's killing us," and I do think you know, we as hunters can put too much emphasis on the moon or no moon or try and make it an excuse. But it also, I think, I think, you know, you, you bring up a point of, you know, typically in a new moon, it's dark during the night. Typically coos deer maybe are not up feeding as much, which puts them up feeding and on their feet a little bit more. And that's kind of what I've noticed. But I do kind of like how you approach it that you don't really care whether it's a full moon or a new moon you're going to, you know, stay in there and try and find your bucks anyway. I think for some of the new hunters out there, I think any time that you can hunt around a new moon when it's dark during the night, you're, you're going to have a little bit better chance of picking those deer up on their feet. For some mm -hmm. of the guys that are more experienced like you, Eric, um, you know, knowing where to look when they're bedded, knowing where to expect them kind of plays into the experience that, that you've had. Um, but I, you know, I personally think hunting in a full moon, you know, you might as well, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to glass in that first light, especially if it's hot and, and, and at last light, but, you know, sometimes from 10 to two during the middle of the day, um, they'll get up and feed for a half hour just because, mm -hmm. 
you know, they, they, they fed all night and they laid up while it's cool and then it, even though it's hot, they get up and do a little feeding in the shade, shift their position and bed back down. So that's, you know, something that cooster hunters, um, you know, need to think about. Mike, I'm going to go through kind of a series of questions with you, but, mm-hmm. you know, someone that's hunted coos deer a lot, um, what are some tips that you would give to the guys that are hunting these early seasons? Um, it's, <laughs> there's a ton of tips. Um, if, I, if I could give, uh, would you want just, you know, three, three main tips? Yeah. And we whatever. can maybe go dive into them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... My main tips for for these these upcoming rifle hunts um, is one you got you have to scout. That's that's to me that's a necessary if you if you want your best chance of being successful. Um, and two you have to come prepared, and that means a lot of things. Uh, you, you know, being prepared by getting a partner to come help you uh, to glass and, and on the hunt um, ahead of time, getting that squared away, and also checking your gear. Um, and creating a list. And, and one thing I've always done in the past is I've reached out to more veteran hunters um, and asked them, uh, what do you carry in your pack and why? And most of the time, I, I know you know how to experience the things that you have in your pack you've, you've needed at one point. Um, so I try to cut the, cut the, the hard lessons out and, and learn from other guys of, of what they have in their pack and why. That way I don't, have, I don't get in the same situation when I, when I need something. Um, and then the third thing is to, like we were talking about earlier, is just you got to be persistent whether or not uh, the, con- what, no matter what the conditions are, if it's new moon, full moon, if it's windy, rainy, um, keep persistent. And that, that'll always lead to success. Yeah, I mean, I think those are three really good tips. You know, your first one of scouting, I, I get a lot of questions on my Instagram storyboard, <laughs> and, and it involves scouting. And it involves, you know, guys saying, well, how do you think the hunt's going to be coming up? And, uh, you know, one of my answers always is, well, you know, your success directly is attributed to the amount of scouting that you've done. Yep. And then subsequently, you know, afterwards I'll get DM messages and they'll be saying, oh, I haven't done any scouting, you know. And I understand that, you know, some guys just have only so much time and they've got families and they, you know, they don't have, you know, lots of time to devote to scouting but I mean as you pointed out the more that you can get out there and learn the country the more that you can get out and look for particular bucks the more that you can get out and just look for deer in general um, I mean scouting plays a huge role in a lot of you know guys like yourself success in you know harvesting these bucks and especially I think Eric don't you think in the early seasons when the movement is not as plentiful, say, as it is in the December or even in the January during the rut, where maybe guys, you know, they can just go out and glass up on a hillside and, you know, see 20, 30, 40 deer in a day, whereas on these early hunts, a lot of times those bucks and those deer are right there, but they're really not that visible. And if you don't mm-hmm. know they're there by, by not scouting, you're just going to move on and, and you just had a golden opportunity right in front of you, but you didn't do, you know, you didn't look for four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve, twenty 12, 20 days or whatever it would be to know that that buck's right there and that coos deer stay in the, virtually the same area all the time. And if I just sit here long enough, I'm going to find that buck. Most guys, you know, will pop up their binos. They look for 30 minutes. They don't see anything and they're often moving. Um, how much of that, you know, scouting day after day after day throughout the summer, you know, and knowing a buck is there, how much do you think that plays into the success of, you know, the big bucks getting shot? Oh, it's, it's, it's pretty much everything. Unless you're a consistent lottery winner, you gotta, you gotta put the work in. I always, I always look at it like, like homework. I look at scouting like homework and I look at the hunt as the test. That's how it comes across in my mind. Um, when the hunt comes, that's when you're going to be put to the test whether or not you can make it happen. And, you know, in, in school, I'm sure everybody can remember, um, when, you didn't, when you didn't study for your test, didn't do your homework, you, you did pretty crappy on the test, right? Um, right. So in college, I always tried to take advantage of homework. I even made my own homework assignments. You know, I was always trying to put the work in so I did well on the test, and, and that's the same thing with scouting. I try to get out 
as many days as I can. Um, you know, if that's convincing my girl that, <laughs> that, hey, if I go out and if I go scouting this many days, I'll be done in the hunt and be back home a lot sooner. If I have to do that or if I have to try to sneak out at, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning or go sneak out at night to go check cameras, that's, you know, you gotta make, gotta make it happen. But scouting is, is huge for, for having consistent success. I'm, I'm typically, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed, so, um, I don't know <laughs> what kind of a comparison it is, but I, I'm typically out there at right after January, um, February through pretty much the whole year I'm out looking. Um, it's kind of just a good excuse to get out there and get hiking around and, and look at deer, but I'm pretty much, how much trying to... How much of that, that sorry to interrupt, but how much of that, was, you know, right after the rut and, and, you know, jumping right back in and trying to get on those bucks and pattern those bucks and run your cameras, how much of that, you know, even like Savannah's bucks, I mean, there's, there's lots of examples of deer that you've shot or, or helped with and your buddies and what have you where, you know, you know about a particular deer and you've jumped on it not like two weeks before the season, like a full year before the season and, you know, tried to pattern and, and get, you know, as much data as you could on that deer way ahead of time. How much does that, you know, play into your success? That's, it's huge. Um, Right after January, I try to. That's in February. Those bucks are still moving around for does. They might not be in their in their normal spots, but that's a good way to to at least you know discover a buck. And then you can go you know work backwards and try to figure out where he came from. Um, but but yeah, getting out there um, and trying to put as many days as you can on a buck to figure out. You kind of want to get. It's a to me. It's a, like an accumulation of data. Um, so you want to figure out where a buck is most of the time and where he goes with, goes when he's not in his typical spot. And that's the thing with Savannah's buck is he was in a, a certain spot, like a very, very, very small area, but sometimes he wasn't. And the, the trick was is those days we need to figure out when he's not in, in this spot, we need to figure out where, he, where he's at. So when the hunt comes and he's not in his normal spot, where do we need to look? And, and we're struggling, there's a buck that Tristan's trying to hunt right now, and we're, we're struggling with that because he, same thing with Savannah's buck, he's in this tiny little, kind of like a little bowl, but he, he disappeared right before the archery hunt and um, is very, very sporadic on the camera. Um, and I, I was telling Tristan we need to expand our range um, a little bit, start looking a little bit farther out to figure out where this buck is going to and not just where he's been. Don't you think, too, that's a good example of those deer also can be right there and not hitting the camera, and it, you, yep. it can play on you mentally where you think mm. that buck's gone, and the reality is, no, he just hasn't come by the camera. Yeah, and that, that was actually, I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, there was times where Tristan would, would glass that deer up in that bowl, and um, we weren't getting any pictures of him. But the, the deer, we, we would watch him walk literally 50 yards from the camera, and um, he wouldn't be on camera at all. Um, but, but yeah, he, Tristan has gone in there and, and tried to glass that deer and hasn't seen him at all um, since, since about uh, May. Uh, he's been on the camera since May, but um, we haven't been able to lay, lay eyes on him in the glass. And that, that just comes down to um, we needed to be a little bit of a wider area, looking at different hillsides, figuring out what other areas he, he frequents. To, to be able to, to actually find them. For sure. For those guys, um, to take this one step further, for those guys out there that are listening uh, that maybe they just they haven't had the time or they haven't made the time to scout, going into the actual hunt, these late October hunts, uh, these early November hunts, if you haven't had the luxury of scouting, what what are some things that you would be particular about, and what are you know what would you be doing if you know in your heart you hadn't scouted the way you should? I just try to be I try to be as smart about it as I could. Um, putting myself in those shoes, if I hadn't scouted for a hunt um, and was and was going in, I would <clears throat> try to get a partner. Uh, it always helps when you have a second set of eyes, not only going to kill the animal, but finding the animal in the first place. Uh, I don't know how many times I've been with guys, and and I'm not seeing, you know, I'm not seeing crap, and then 
and then you know, <laughs> it got you know someone by me is like, hey, I got a buck, you know. Um, I was just yeah. out helping the guy and 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 um, helping a couple guys on on this guy's upcoming tag and um, and one of the met- or one of the central units up here and I wasn't seeing crap and the guy glassed up you know four bucks and that's where all the bucks were it was just a tiny little pocket um, but I I glassed over them so it's always helpful to have someone there um, it's good to be smart about choosing where to glass. I mean, he referenced uh, Dwayne Adams' podcast about glassing into the shadows. I think he illuminated a little bit better that uh, angle to dangle um, thing that he does uh, with with getting on the hill, being on the hillside to look into the right, the right little pocket of where a deer could be. And when it was with that guy um, recently up here, with the, the the most mature buck we glassed up, he bedded up early in the day or early in the morning. But he was only up for about probably about 15 minutes and bedded down. But he bedded down next to this rock and in, in the shadow. But we had to be in that spot to kind of to look in there to see his rack, and that's all you could see. Right. So it's important to to to, to if you haven't scouted, is pay attention to, to where you're looking. Um, try to look in the best spots, and and really, what I do when I'm glassing is I try to prove um, that there isn't a deer in every shadow instead of the other way around, um, or that there is a deer in every shadow instead of the other way right. around. That way, that's a good. That way, you're point. not looking there. Yeah, that way you're not looking there and just you know, like, oh, there's no deer here. Um, so every little shadow I look in and, and through the brush, I try to prove that there's a deer in every little, every little nook and cranny. So in other words, when you're looking, you find those little shady pockets as the sun, you know, an hour after first light, this, you know, starts to form different angles of shade and you start hitting those shade pockets and you're going, okay, where's the deer in that shade? Okay, where's the deer in that shade? And you, you know, yep. it, obviously you're moving along and not seeing some deer, but you're looking with anticipation. And I think that's a huge tip for people out there is you need to glass with anticipation. You need to, you mm-hmm. need to be you know, testing your eyes and going, is that a twig or is that an antler? Is that is that a black rock or is that a black coos your nose? Is that, you know, and, and not just be glossing over. And I think you can get, you know, in a, in a rhythm where you're not seeing much and you just start scanning and you don't start really detail-oriented glassing and picking out little things. But I like that tip that you say, you know, you, you expect them to be there um, and glass like they are there, not like they're not. Yeah, um, that's yeah. that's really good stuff. You know, one other thing I would point out first, it, guys out there that, and this goes even with scouting, but if you thought if you're going into a hunt and you do have a buddy like Eric says, um, I always like, I never, Dar and I never like to sit next to each other. That doesn't yep. mean that we're not sometimes in the same general area, but we could be 30, 40, 50 yards apart, or we could be on different mountaintops. Uh, but but the important thing is I see lots of pictures and there's guys and they're literally sitting right next to, you know, there's like mm-hmm. five guys in a photo and they're all literally sitting next to each other glassing. And while I've done that at some times, um, I find more effective is if you can get 40, 50, 60 yards away, you know, a, a, a whole hill away, change your angle, be looking at a different angle it seems like you can cover more country and be a little bit more efficient. And it always helps when you have a glassing partner that's, you know, whether it's his tag or not, or whether it's, he's just helping if they can be into it, you know, just as much as you are. And if you're a helper on some of these upcoming hunts, I mean, be energetic, be the guy that's keeping everybody motivated and, Mm -hmm. and, and going. And those are always great um, hunting partners to have around. Um, I wanted to touch on your second point of, you know, knowing the gear and having the right gear on the hunts and what, and, and what have you. Um, one piece of gear, and it seems so trivial, but I, I think you'll probably laugh, is I always like having a good pair of uh, tweezers or like um, <laughs> hemostats. Because, yeah. and like, I know you'd laugh because being a cooster hunter, you know why. Because it seems like everything in cooster country pokes at you. And having a good set of tweezers to pull out cactus spines and, and you know, mesquite thorns and all sorts of things that you get poked with in cooster country, I think it's something that gets overlooked. 
and I've pointed it yeah. out before and had, had people message me and say, you know, having a good pair of, of uh, tweezers is probably the best thing I could have possibly had. Um, I'm curious if, if there's anything like that, um, you know, that maybe something you wouldn't think of, any, any piece of gear that you recommend. Oh man, the, the tweezers is a good one because like, <laughs> I've been there so many times. Um, I, I even carry a small, like a really, uh, really, really small uh, multi-tool. It's got a tiny little pliers on it for mm -hmm. those those thick thorns that those tweezers just won't grip. Um, mm -hmm. I got a I funny think, story about that. While you're thinking of, yeah. of something, I um, we were hunting coos there on the I think it was on the San Carlos. Uh, if it's the trip I was remembering and, and um, I fell directly back in a prickly pear cactus and had literally oh, cactus. We were trying to shoot a buck and and I uh, had just cactus spines, the, the little wispy ones, you know, those ones yeah. that are just, you know, and uh, so we made a big joke when I got back to camp, I was telling Dar, I need help and he's like, no, I'm not helping you, just call your, call your cousin, He he's in he's right here. That's a family thing. I'm not going to do yeah. that. So I kept begging my cousin, please come over and help me. And he, he never did. But, uh, uh, you, you know, it's good tweezers are, are a, a must. Yeah, they are. They are I'm trying to think of things, uh, comparable to tweezers. It's hard to measure up to tweezers. Um, I think little scissors too, like little, little tiny surgical scissors. You never know if you, yeah. you know, if you, fall and and you need to you know if you need to cut something that would be huge yeah i have a i always every year i look through my i have a med kit that i throw on my my pack and i make sure i have little surgical scissors um make sure everything in there is good to go um some other essential gear that i can think of are little external chargers for your phone um Oh, yeah. When you're out there with, with a buddy, because you know, you're taking videos with your phone scope and whatnot, and you end up draining your battery all the way down. It's nice to have that. Um, a good butt pad for for glassing. I, I mm -hmm. like. Sometimes I don't take one, but if if I know I'm if I'm going to a spot where I know I'm going to spend a lot of time before moving, I'll. Or if I if it's if it's if it's wet out or cold, I'll try to bring a good butt pad to keep me warm um, and kind of out of the elements. And it, it does make a difference when you're sitting there for a long time glassing. Um, and then another thing is, is some sort of a shade system, whether that's a, an extra t-shirt or a, or some sort of a cloth or something to, to throw over your head. Um, I always throw something over my head when I'm glassing because it, it, it just darkens everything around me. So all I can see is the sight picture through my, um, through my, uh, Swarovskis, and it brightens the picture up th through my Swarovskis too. So all little details looking through those binos pop out because everything's dark around me. Um, it also keeps the sun off my face. It helps with, uh, with a lot with the fatigue of glassing. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a great tip. Another thing with the T-shirt or something that you bring along, and I'm sure you've done it before, Eric, um, a lot of times if you're glassing by a bush or a tree or something and the sun's just right, you can hang a shirt up there and actually yep. create yep. a shade, um, you know, that, that actually makes it a little more pleasant to glass. Um, I think that's huge. Uh, something I might add is, you know, a couple extra batteries and, and you know, make yep. sure your headlamps or an extra headlamp, um, you know, because there's nothing like getting stuck way back in and, and it gets completely pitch black dark, uh, mm -hmm. have the yeah. ability to have light to get your, get yourself out. Um, cause I know we've all walked out in the complete dark oh, yeah. around and in Cooster country, it's, you know, sometimes very unforgiving. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I was saying earlier with, uh, like when I was younger, I would, my dad always had tons of stuff in his pack and I, he, I'd been with him when we'd gone out with his hunting partners um, and they'd given him crap about why he had so much stuff in his pack. And I remember my dad saying when I was really young, um, everything I have in this pack, is, I need that at one point. Um, so that's why yeah. I have all this stuff. It's and in here knowing how, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And knowing how many years my dad had in the field, you know, I knew there was some serious weight to that. So that's when I started asking him hey, what do you have in your pack or paying attention to what he had in his pack and then getting that same stuff from my pack or, you know, uh, my other mentors growing up um, that were veteran hunters, I would just, you know, poke their brain and be like, hey, what are you, what are you carrying? Um, 
And I, I see people, you know, they ask you the same thing um, on, on your on your Instagram. Uh, that stuff is valuable because you're cutting out a lot of a lot of heartache, like with the with the <laughs> with extra batteries and headlamps, like you said. I mean, I there was one time where I was out scouting and and I was way back in, you know, miles and miles, and I thought for sure that the batteries in my headlamp were good, and uh, and phone was dead, and I decided to glass till dark, and I ended up walking out, and it was new moon, ironically. <laughs> um, so so I ended up just just trying to remember the trail to get back to the quad, and and hiking down this ridge line in complete dark, and uh, trying not to let my mind get the best of me with my imagination. So yeah, it it sucks when you're not prepared. So it's always good to good to run through your pack and make sure everything's good to go. Yeah, you know, um, I took a few questions on Instagram, and several of them came in, uh, guys wanting to know what the conditions, the feed conditions look like in some of the different units. Um, I would ask you, Eric, I've been up here in Colorado. I'm not back to Arizona yet, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, from everything I've heard, we've had very little monsoon rain, but we did have really good winter moisture. Um, what does, you know, some of the units you've been in, what does the feed look like? What does the grass look like? You know, are the trees, you know, the, the vegetation, does everything look dead? What, you know, what's it looking like out there? So for the most part, I think the, those winter rains helped a lot. The, the acorn crops I've seen pretty much in every unit I've staffed have been really, really good. Your, you know, from your scrub, your scrub oaks to your gambles to white oaks, they all have acorns. Um, the only thing I, I noticed suffered a little bit this year was the mesquite bean crop with, uh, with deer eating that. There just wasn't as many mesquite beans this year um, because there's a gap in, in, in that rainfall for that monsoon kind of came a little bit later. But for the most part down south, uh, we got tons of rain a little bit later. Um, in, into September, which just seemed to, is kind of typical with last year as well. So right now down south, it's it's pretty. There's really good feed. Lots of you know all the browse that deer like to feed on. There's good uh, banana yucca crops, so the deer love that in the hills. So the feeds feeds real good. Uh, in my opinion, better than last year. Okay. How do you see? Um, and from what you've heard from all your buddies and what you're seeing and your dad and everybody. What about antler growth for coos deer? Um, what What are you thinking? Average, below average, above average? What do you think? For uh, this year, the bucks that I've seen so far have been great. Um, it's always hard to to really to get a a, a, a certain gauge of whether or not it's just just with the rain or if it's just because a buck is getting another Mature. year on him. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But but I've seen a lot of a lot of non-typical characteristics on bucks this year that weren't present last year. Um, and overall, the bucks that I've seen this year have been overall bigger than last year. Guys, I want to interrupt this podcast episode real fast to thank you guys for your avid support of this podcast. And I want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank the Go Hunt Gear Shop. My friend Cody Nelson is the optics manager there at the Go Hunt Gear Shop. If you have any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, tripods, you name it, anything to do with glassing, if you'd like to purchase them or just talk with Cody, uh, I challenge you to do so. He's a great resource. You can reach out at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Uh, he takes care of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners. Um, so I appreciate uh, the Go Hunt sponsorship of this podcast, and uh, make sure you tell Cody I sent you, uh, but he will take care of you and give you a great deal. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, if you need to find out more about Kuyu, you can uh, go to kuiu.com. Uh, you can also follow on my Instagram storyboard as I take a lot of questions on Kuyu gear. I appreciate Kuyu and their sponsorship. Also, Phonescope.com, that's Phonescope with a K. If you use the J. Scott 19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% uh, discount there. Uh, that is the digiscoping device that I use to take videos and photos uh, on my iPhone 10. Uh, also, 
onxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount there on the Onyx phone app. It's the best uh, mapping app out there. It's right on your phone. It's replaced the GPS for me. Uh, it's just an awesome, awesome tool. So, guys, let's get right back to the episode here. Good. That's great news. Um, we've got a yeah. question here. Got a question here. Have an October 22. This is DeSoto 80. To have an October 22 coos hunt will be up in the Matazels strategy and tactics. Um, you know, from my perspective, like Eric said, scouting, 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 and you know, mm -hmm. the amount of scouting that you can put in is going to totally dictate how you know, probably how you do on the hunt. Um, you know, my strategy, my tactics would be to try and figure out an area that you want to focus on. Um, and then once you figure out that area, then become detail-oriented and try and say, okay, where, are, where do I expect the deer to be? Um, you know, where are the high points in the area where I can get up and use my optical advantage to try and spot as many bucks as I can? Um, and then maybe take some of the strategy and tactic from you know, Dwayne Adams' podcast, and we've talked mm -hmm. about it before, and Eric mentions it where, you know, these early hunts glassing into the shade and expecting those deer in the shade, you know, expect when you glass a shady, shady hillside, expect deer to be laid under trees and under, you know, by bushes and, you know, sh shaded rocks and logs and what have you. Um, and, you know, kind of take a tactical plan of, you know, you're going to work country over, um, and not just once, you know, you might have to hit it yeah. several glassing sessions from several different angles. Um, Eric, what would you throw in there as your, your strategies and tactics? So most of the metazols is that thick chaparral stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, what you're, what you're, what you're saying is, is right on the money. That, that thicker stuff, you're going to have to get a little bit of a better angle on it. That's, you know, you're going to have to get up high and kind of look down into it to kind of piece it apart. Otherwise you're not going to really see those, those, because they're a lot smaller, they they look big in the glass. They look like they're bigger body than they actually are. Um, so when they're standing that chaparral stuff, they can disappear pretty easily unless you're looking down in on them. Um, and there's so much brush that it's almost necessary to to change glassing angles frequently and that stuff to try to to try to catch those deer in that in in that metazol type country. Um, and they can use nice thing about the metazols is that's mostly wilderness, so a lot of your access is going to be on foot. Um, so making use of those trails that are already there is, is pretty vital. Maybe maybe investing in some shin guards or something to walk through that stuff <laughs> would be nice. Um, but, yeah, yeah the that, glassing. That brush can yeah. be brutal. Um, yeah. You, you know, I want to hit on something that you mentioned there. Uh, you talk about brush and you talk about the height of the deer, and it's funny when... Hmm. You're exactly right. When you see the deer in your binos, you think, oh, there they are. And, but when you have a upward-looking angle, in other words, you are looking uphill, that just shrinks the, you know, that shrinks the deer even more, whereas yeah. I feel like yeah. you make a great point when you're sitting up. If you're looking down and across, but especially down, I feel like you can look over the top and you can look into the brush and into the pockets where if you just drop down to, say, a, a, a level playing field, you're looking straight across, you can't see anything, but you get up, all of a sudden, the country opens up a lot more when, I, when you look down mm -hmm. and across. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so one thing I always paid attention to when I was hiking around and whatnot in the hills is if I, if I saw a little, like, a little cubby bed, um, like you're describing, like a little, little pocket where a deer would go in and lay down, I would look at that bed, go get down on it, and and look around from that bed and see what points would I be able to see this deer. If this deer was bedded in this bed, how would I even be able to see this deer? And mm. most of the time, you can only you can only see points that are well, well, well higher than than that bed um, to to even to even see that. So you you have to be real up high and at the right angle to look into those little pockets. Um, and I, I've had hunts where when, um, with uh, Justin Birch you've had on before where we were hunting a particular buck and that buck was 
probably, you know, less than 200 yards away from us the whole hunt, and he was just in a little, little pocket bed. We were looking straight over the top of him on the hill when we needed to be around looking down in on him. Um, and, and, you know, we ended up not killing that deer, and that deer was there the whole time until he spooked out. Um, so it, it's, it's important, and, and like I said, when you're hiking around, it, it helps to just, when you see those beds, just get down in on them and look and see, you know, where, where would I have to be to see this deer if he was bedded here? And that'll kind of put it a little bit in the better perspective where you need to be um, to glass. So you're talking about actually when you're walking around mm -hmm. and you see a deer bed, you actually get down on the ground level like coos deer level and look around mm -hmm. and think, okay, where could I see my position that I'm, you know, sitting in right now? That's a very good perspective. I like that. Um, Thanks. How, how much would you say your glassing for coos deer, like when you're picking your spot to look from, how many, how, what percentage would be, it's like as high as you can possibly get as opposed um, to, you know, just a knob. Like if you had a choice over a high one or a low one or a medium, like how, many, how much is I want to get as high as I can get? Yeah, there's always, there's always trade-off um, when you're trying to pick, pick the spot to glass. Sometimes, you, I mean, I would, it, everybody, it would be nicest to be as high as you could because, I mean, that's the best view to, to be up high and look down in. Um, the only exception to that rule is if you have those, those thick mesquite canopies um, or, like, heavy oak. Sometimes it's better to have a little bit, not such a harsh angle looking down in because you're just looking at canopy. It might be better to kind of be a little bit lower on the hill. And then the other part is, I'm always I'm always faced with the trade-off. Hey, do I do I hike the extra mile to get up on this taller peak, or do I do I get on this lower peak where it's going to be easier to to get off of? Um, especially if, if you see them. Yeah, if you see them, you know it'd be nice to be on that that medium-sized peak instead of that that real tall one because then you got to get back down. Um, so it's always kind of like you got to. I always just gamble in my head and kind of just go off my own hunch um, of what to do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I think you mentioned the trade-offs. Sometimes going to the highest point, I like to get as high as I can, but there is a trade-off. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get so high and you get so far away from the deer, your detailed glassing goes by the wayside. You're now so far away, you can't really pick it apart. So, you know, there's kind of a happy medium of getting some good elevation where you can look down and across into the brush, but where that you have, you know, if you're glassing with 15s or 10s or 25, whatever you're glassing with, you have to kind of play to what you have in your pack. You know, if you've mm -hmm. only got 10s, don't get super, super far away because your detail will, you know, shrink up. If you've got real heavy, high-powered glass, then, you know, maybe you can afford to get way far away from the deer. Uh, but I think you also brought up a good point about some of those mesquite thickets, as you mentioned, especially on these early hunts, um, you know, they'll have full uh, foliage, you know, at the top mm -hmm. of the trees, whereas if you're kind of in those situations looking across at a mesquite bench, if you're looking down on it, you won't see anything unless the deer comes out any of the corners. But sometimes you want to be level with it so you can almost look under the green foliage at the top and just look at those dark mesquite branches and it, where it opens up, because most mesquite trees, you know, are about coos deer height uh, as yep. far as where the, where the green bush part of the tree hangs down. And if you're at the right level, you can sometimes look right in there, whereas, you know, the, the guy that's hunting in the Matazels, that's hunting a lot of, you know, manzanita and some of that stuff, you can't look through that. You almost have to look down on top of it. So that's an interesting point that you bring up there. Yep. Let's see. Uh, says uh, Jake's Broncos family has a couple of tags. This is our first cooster hunt. Anything specific I should look out for? Something that comes mm. to my mind is, you know, a family hunt. Uh, I would assume that maybe you've got some kids in there, some younger hunters. Um, yeah. You know, Make, make sure they have a pair of binoculars and make sure that you put yeah, them in a yeah. position where they can see deer, whether it be bucks, does, you know, make sure that they can see javelina. Um, you know, 
the last thing you want to do is take a kid up there. He doesn't, you don't have a pair of binos for him to look through or her to look through, and they sit there for 15 minutes. Well, they're going to get bored, and they're going to start throwing rocks, and, you know, they're, they're not <laughs> going to enjoy it. So from a family perspective, you know, make sure everybody has binoculars to look through. And I really liked Dwayne's um, thing about, you know, take a kid and pay them a dollar for every deer they spot, and that's going to keep them, you know, a lot more engaged in, in the hunt. Um, but as far as things to look out for, you know, I think one of the beauties of, of being able to hunt coos deer, especially, say, in southern Arizona, is you get to hunt some of that classic, traditional, you know, just yellow grass, you know, mesquite, just that beautiful oak, that country that we all fall in love with. I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you're anything like me, you love the deer, Eric, but, I mean, you also fall in love with the country, whether it be the low yep. desert country, the middle country. I mean, the Cooster country is unique, uh, you know, throughout North America. I mean, there's Cooster country, and and all Cooster hunters know when they spot Cooster country because it has that look. Yeah. Um, anything you'd throw in there for family kind of going on their first coos hunt? Yeah. Um, the, the the thing with the binos is for sure. It's kind of, it, it, it's his, it's his first, I take it it's his first hunt as well, or just the first yeah, hunt as a family? Sounds, sounds like, I'm not sure, but it sounds like kind of some first timers going coos hunting. Mm. Uh, that's nice thing because it'll be a learning experience for everybody. Um Maybe, you know, point out things to the kiddos if there's kids along or um, someone that's not as, ex- for me, when I've taken people that weren't as experienced, I would make sure I took the time to explain, you know, the plants that we were walking past, um, you know, what what the deer like to like to eat, um, any kind of sign, I would, you know, point right. to like sign, say, well, yeah, what is, what, what did that track come from? It makes it into more of a game and a learning experience rather than just let's, let's hike to this hill, you know? Um, and, and things with spotting the deer, too, uh, kind of being positive about each deer you spot. I remember when, when I was younger and I, my dad gave me the binos for the first time, and we're in uh, Unit 33, which is a, a great place to, um, to start glassing for deer. And one thing I, I might uh, recommend, too, is, is for them to go to a, you know, a place that's got a lot of deer first and just to, to break out the binos and just start looking at deer. Um, that might be a nice confidence booster for the hunt. Um, but I remember, you know, I, he gave me the, the pair of binos and I was spotting all these deer and he would take the time to, I'm sure they were deer that he had already saw, <laughs> but he would take the time to say, hey, I got this, I have a deer on this hill and he would take the time to go look at the deer. Um, so it made me feel like I was, you know, starting to become a hunter and actually, you know, finding some stuff. Um, so that's very important, getting those kiddos involved and, and everybody that's on the hunt, making sure they're involved in the hunt, um, looking out for, for plants. Um, that's another, that's another fun thing to do. Um, you know, I would, something I might add as well, Eric, is, um, if, if, if you're new to cooster hunting, one of the things that you have to understand is I highly recommend stabilizing your binoculars on a tripod. We've talked a lot about it on my podcast, but you also have to understand that a cooster can be standing in the wide open, not, you know, just standing there and you glass them up and you're excited that you see a buck and then you look away to, to get your buddy's attention and you look back in your binos. Now, granted, they're on a tripod and they're totally still. And you look back in your binos and you think, he's gone. The buck's gone. Where'd he go? Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, the deer turns his head and he was standing in the same field of view. He never moved. He just changed his head in a different position. So they can be extremely hard to see and they blend in very, very well. So that brings up a couple of points. Um, one is you have to be very meticulous. You have to glass slow, uh, but know mm-hmm. that when you find a deer, uh, a lot of times you need to look around because especially in these early yeah. seasons, when you find a buck, most of the time, most of the time there'll be two, three, four, five, six, seven other bucks you know, within exactly. 20 or 30 yards, yeah. all bedded together. Have you seen situations where, where, where you see one buck and then all of a sudden it leads to five more bucks bedded down mm-hmm. right there all together? Yeah, yeah. That actually, when uh, that uh, recent scouting trip, I went with that guy up here. Um, 
We that guy had glassed up. I think he said he saw you know one or two bucks. I think he said a couple bucks, and there were spikes. And then I I looked back, and there was another two bucks, um, a little bit you know farther right on the hill. And I'm like, ah, they kind of act. They kind of acted like you know there was you know another deer around. So I kept looking, and that's my fault. Found that more mature buck that bedded down pretty quick. So you're right on the money. That's a good point. That you see if you see a buck, there's more often times than not, they're, they're with other deer around on that same hill. It's very rare that you see a, a spike or a young buck or any kind of buck and, and he's by himself. More, more times than not, there's more deer around. You know, I went on your Instagram and you were fielding Cooster questions um, as well, which you do a very good job at, at, at Thank you. answering the questions. Um, I want to read one here because I think it's, important and I think you can elaborate a little bit on it. Uh, importance of, of patience when glassing, uh, staying in one spot looking for that nose or ear flick and you answer, you say, I start out glassing quick, panning skylines first then mm -hmm. edges where a buck could slip by quick, then I slow down to a moderate speed, panning across the hillsides and in spots I know bucks to be, then I'll slow way down and look for those small bits and pieces like a nose, an ear, a tine, etc. I approach it as dissecting the brush and trying to prove that there is a deer in every shadow rather than thinking the other way around. Patience is hard, and I notice the more I glass, the more patient I am each time I go, and the more um, minute details that I'm able to pick up on. You also add in the next slide, also, if I have a lot of country in front of me, I might not move for a whole half a day. If I'm only looking at a bowl or small country, I will hike out to look at a different ridge or simply get a different angle on the same country. Sometimes changing angles is exactly what resulted in finding particular bucks in the past. Best to be proactive the whole day. Invest in a good butt pad and shade system. So sitting all day isn't a pain. I throw a cloth over my head and it blocks out the sun and extra light so I have bright picture in my binos. You know, the part to me that jumps out, there's lots of great info in this, but the speed of glassing. Um, and let's talk, let's in conclusion here today, let's talk a little bit about kind of the speed of glassing when it comes to coos deer. Uh, you know, I'm totally with you that at first light, I'm in full like kind of scan mode, um, almost like just kind of rapid fire, just really hitting mm -hmm. spots back and forth, up and down, you know, lots of panning, hitting open areas, hitting saddles, um, and then you nailed it as, as the light starts getting there and, you know, maybe after the first hour, then it just starts slowing down. Talk a little bit about your, and you did, I, you know, I just read it, but um, dive in a little bit on the, the speed at which you glass and, and your eye is obviously looking through the binos, picking things out and telling your brain. But if you go too fast, you can miss things. Talk about that. Yeah. So I, I, I used to be pretty horrible when I first started glassing. Um, you know, when I would go out with my dad, we would just, I would just try to, to, to mirror him and, you know, there wasn't much explanation there on what to do. Um, so I would just I would just pan, and most of the time I panned faster than my dad. I'd get tired, you know, the you know after an hour of glassing, and kind of feel like we're wasting our time sitting there. And then he would see deer, you know, you know, in another half hour, and I'm like, well, crap, you know, I, I missed that deer. Um, and I started glassing with um, my mentor growing up, uh, Ronnie Grimes, and he would he was interesting that he would glass with his binos. I think he had a pair of uh, 10 or 20s, I can't remember. Um, I can't remember what he had, it would take with him when we would go, but he would glass with his binos first, and then as the day got on, he switched to a spawning scope, um, which for me I, I couldn't do because I, I have a hard time, you know, shutting one eye off and just looking through uh, with one eye solely. But the, the main point there was he would slow down and start to dissect um, every little bush, you know, as, as time went on. And so I asked him about it, and uh, I started to, to come up with that method, which I, I've kind of reaffirmed a lot of guys do that. I'm sure, like like you, yourself, you, you do that as well. Or that first light, I'm scanning all the, the skylines where 
you know, a deer could easily slip over. And if it's that particular buck that I'm looking for, it, it'd, be, it'd be great to know he went over the hill at first light rather than spend the whole day looking for him on the hillside. Um, or, you know, you catch a deer coming over, and then you, you're set to go to watch him for the whole morning so you can make your move. Um, so I start out, I start out panning the skyline first, um, which you can do very quickly. Um, you know, a deer sticks out like a sore thumb on the skyline. And then as the light starts getting a little bit, um, a little bit better, I start to just to pan the hillsides, and I just do a simple like, uh, you know, left to right pan, um, right to left, just sweeping the hillsides. Um, I will look if it's an area I'm familiar with, uh, where I know the deer tend to hang out. I'll just zoom over to those spots and look real quick, because mo most times the, the deer I'm looking for is in that spot, so. I just kind of cut to the chase rather than slowly glassing the hillsides until I can get to that deer. Um, and then if, if all that fails and I'm not seeing the type of deer that I want to, um, glassing that way uh, and panning the hillsides pretty fast, I'll start to slow down. Um, about that time, it's, it's nice because the deer are slowing down as well. So you're not getting deer that are running around the hillside feeding and whatnot. Um, so I, I start to slow down. The thing is with, with slowing down is you're giving your eyes a little bit more opportunity to catch movement. Because if you're, I mean, if you're moving the binos fast, it's hard to catch, you know, even a deer walking. Um, I mean, think about it like trying to, to like you're, you're driving 70 on the highway and you're trying to read a sign, you know, that's right on the side right. of the road. You got, you got to kind of slow down. Um, so it'll get to the point where if I have enough country in front of me, um, I'll, I'll, slow, I'll slow way down. I'll just, you know, I'll spend, shoot, like if I have a good hillside, I might spend an hour looking, picking it apart. If I'm confident there's a buck and hiding in there somewhere. And most of the time they're, they're there. Um, you just need to slow down. And there's times where what, what led to me spotting a buck was uh, like half of a nose and, a, and you could just see the white outline on the nose mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um you're like wow you, you you sucker you're hiding right there you know <laughs> yeah um so, so yeah is there anything else you, you want me to go into depth there or is that no i mean i think you you nailed it i you know for people out there when i get up to a new glassing spot and let's say let's say it's 10 o'clock in the morning or let's say it's three o'clock mm -hmm. in the afternoon when I first get to a glassing spot, I put my butt pad down, I put my tripod up, and I put my binos on the tripod, and I immediately do exactly what you're saying. I hit the, mm -hmm. I hit the tops of the ridges, I hit the open spots, and I'm for the first 10 minutes, I'm panning. I'm just literally panning here, there, and everywhere. You know, just really just looking around, no, no distinct pattern. I'm trying to cover basically a broad scan of everything very, very quickly to see if anything is just obvious that's jumping out. I'm also yeah. trying to see, like you say, at the tops of these ridges, when I first sit down, I want to sit down and say, okay, I don't want anything to get away from me, so look at the places where it can get away from me. Okay, the tops of the ridges, tops of the hills, exactly. okay, you know, hitting that. Then I go, okay. I say, which hillside do I want to start with? And then I do the exact same thing. I start towards the top. And I just start panning back and forth, left and right, left and right, left and right, just sweeping back and forth. Once I've kind of covered that hill, I kind of move over and go, okay. And I, you know, I basically start where I left off, and I scan left or right on that, you know, portion of the hill or the cut or the bowl. And then I just keep moving around, and then I keep shifting my butt, if you will, and shifting my position. Sometimes I have mm -hmm. to lift my tripod. And where I've covered everything, you know, from my left to my right that's in my sight picture. And so I've scanned fast. Then I've kind of left, right, scanned slower. Then maybe I'll spin completely around and glass the other side and do the same thing. Fast scan, slow scan, left or right. And then I go back to the original spot. And that's when I do what you say, where I start looking into the brush. I'm, at this mm -hmm. point, I'm not scanning. I'm more just having the binos stationary in one position, letting my eyes yeah, yeah, yeah. around. Yeah, 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 exactly. And just mm -hmm. looking for any movement. And 
one thing I found is if you catch those birds flicking and, and moving, if you're if you're going that slow, that's typically when yeah. you can start seeing more deer. Uh, and a good rule of thumb out there, and then Eric, I'll let you go because you've been awesome. Um, if it works for me, if I get to a point where I am not seeing deer, I always tell myself slow down. Yep. And typically, once I slow down, I boom pick up a deer, and I'm like, that yep, deer's yep. been there the whole mm-hmm. time, and I was just going too fast. Yeah, it makes but, you feel uh, kind of stupid. Don't doesn't you it? think too? <laughs> yeah, and in, in, in they're laying in the wide open, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I think there has been some people that have been hampered or they've been hindered in talking about the grid system and, you know, glassing slow yeah. and all that. I think there's some people that actually get hurt by that because at first they don't scan and they don't look quick into the, you know, high probability areas and they start out, they get to their glassing point and they start slowly on one hill just mm-hmm. slowly looking and they miss a buck that's just standing in the wide open. So for all of the people out there listening, if you're new, I mean, scan quickly at first, and then, as Eric says, just slowly start progressing, progr- progressing your pace down to where, you know, you may be a couple hours in and you're just sitting there in one spot, and then you just move it over 10 feet, and you're just looking and you're looking, and you're looking at everything around, and then you just move it over. Um, so it, it's an interesting um, topic, and I appreciate yeah. all your all, all of your thoughts today. Um, it's always great talking to you, and um, want to give you a chance to let people know where they can follow along. I like watching your Instagram, so make sure you mention that. Yeah, so you can uh, you can. Um Follow me. Thanks for the kind words, too, by the way, Jay. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Forrest. It's E-R-I-C underscore F-O-R-R-E-S-T. And then I also um, I throw up some, some videos on YouTube under Backcountry Origins, and that's also on Instagram, uh, just, you know, just for fun, just throwing up videos of deer every now videos. and then. Thank Good. you. Yeah, I'm working – yeah, I'm actually working on throwing together a bunch of videos from my book of, from this year. Um, so hopefully that'll go up next week. So, and then also my Amazon storefront is is in my um, in the bio of my Instagram on my Instagram profile as well. So you can check out all the trail cameras and random gear that I recommend on there as well. Awesome. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you having having you on the podcast. And um, for the listeners out there, lean on Eric. He's uh, he's a young guy, but he's grown up hunting with some of the best guys, best cooster hunters in the world, and um, a lot has rubbed off on this uh, young guy, and, and uh, he's very experienced for someone of his age, and, and I just love following along your Instagram. You've been doing a great job for a long time, so keep it up, and thanks for sharing with us here on the podcast. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me on. It's always an honor. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. Thank you as well.